This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Someone said the following. Listen carefully. He said, the Bible contains the mind of God. The Bible states the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of the believer. He said, read it to be wise. Believe it to be saved. Practice it to be holy. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, and the soldier's sword. Read it slowly, read it frequently, and read it prayerfully. There is no book in the world like it. Now, I know what I'm going to tell you, but probably known to most of you. But I want you to think about this with me. Not just hear this as by way of information, but just let it sink into your heart and your spirit and, and focus with me. Because in that book, God chose to reveal himself. There is no book like it. Although he used 40 different people in a span of 1,500 years, and yet it all tells the same story. There is no book like it. God chose to reveal himself in that book. It is the only book that is written by 40 different, through 40 different people in a span of 1,500 years, and yet they are all consistent. They tell the same story. You see, here's what, what you, we know you're not going to hear from the liberals, because they like to tear the Bible to shreds without honesty and without integrity. But the truth is this. Anybody who has read the Word of God to understand it and really comprehend it will find out it's free from contradiction, that its theme is consistent, that it is free from human orchestration. It tells the whole truth and never hides anything. It's writers varied in backgrounds from kings to doctors to shepherds to to writers to tax collectors. It is written in different periods in, in world history. It is written in different parts of the world, from Europe to Asia to Babylonia. There's no book like it. And imagine a book of science or, or medicine that would have been written 500 years ago and would be as relevant today not 2,500 years ago, 500 years ago, and will be as accurate and precise today as it was that they is written. There's no book like it. Yes, it has 66 books. It has 40 different writers over 1,500-year period of time. But it contains not many subjects, but one subject. Not many themes, one theme. Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. The Old Testament tells us to look forward to His coming. And those who are going to be in heaven, those who are saved from the Old Testament times, are those who looked by faith like Abraham to the coming of Christ. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced 2,000 years before Christ. And the New Testament tells us He came. (laughs) And we look back and we know that He came. There's no book like it. Sure, it contains 66 books. It does not contain 66 stories. I just listened not so long ago to a mainline preacher on television. 
And he was talking about how the Genesis stories, they're just stories. They're supposed to be poems and an artistic form. And what you really need to focus on is Jesus. And Jesus is blazing integrity. I said, you foolish man. If Jesus, you believe in with blazing integrity, thinks that the Genesis book is full of stories and myths, wouldn't he not say so? Think about the logic of this. Think about the logic of this. It contains the story of God's redemption from beginning to end. You see, that's why the Bible, the unity of it, baffles human wisdom. It really does. It defies the critics. It challenges its enemies. The unity of the Bible goads its opponents. There's no book like it. You know, it was interesting. I was thinking the other day, if the Muslims will ever permit their Quran, the same rigor of criticism that the Bible has been subjected to, it would fall apart in 24 hours in terms of contradiction, of falsehood. And the Word of God is being criticized and maligned and looked at with microscope for years and years. And the Word of God stands tall. Every prophecy that says, thus says the Lord, came to pass with precision. I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. Because if you read history, even if you're not a student of history, if you just know a little bit of history, you would know that the Bible has been attacked and maligned like no other book. You would know that the Bible has been banned, has been buried, and people were forbidden from reading it like no other book. They have attempted to discredit it like no other book. When the Chinese communists shredded the Bible, the faithful believers picked up the shreds and read them and honored the Word of God. Throughout history, people either loved the Word of God or hated the Word of God. Throughout history, either the Bible changed people's lives or they tried to change it. Throughout history, emperors, despots, and dictators have sought to banish the Bible, and yet they are all dead and the Word of God lives forever. But here's the, the irony that I could not escape. As I hear those people who cannot get the Word of God tell me that they devour, not read the Word of God. They long for it like a tall glass of water to a thirsty man. I could not help but think that what despots and atheists and dictators have failed to accomplish is being accomplished by Christians today. You say, how come? By not only reading it, believing it, and obeying it, we are accomplishing what atheists and infidels and agnostics and apostates have failed to accomplish. And that's what drove me 
to do this short series of messages on the importance of the Word of God in our daily life. Well, it's vitally important to begin, if you haven't already. I was sharing with the staff how thrilled I am and have been in those past few weeks to get emails and, and letters and personal calls from people who have said, we're well, reading the Word of God as a couple, individually, now has become part of our lives. I promise you, you are the one who are going to be blessed for it. I can't understand how can anybody to claim to love Jesus and claim that they have received Him as Savior, and yet they spend time on playing golf, they spend time on watching television, they spend time exercising, they spend time socializing, and I'm not against any of these things, perhaps with the exception of the golf thing. I do all of these things. (laughs) I do all of these things. But I cannot understand how we can find time for all of these things. And we say, when it comes to the word, reading of the Word of God, I, say, well, I just don't have time. It boggles my mind. One of the reasons, at least to me personally, that people do not read, believe, and practice, and obey the Word of God, is that what happened in the last four decades in this country is that church leaders and pastors and preachers have dumbed down the Bible. They really have. Many churches use it as an icon, but they don't believe its content. I'll never forget, this is nearly 20 years ago, I was involved in one of those churches. And they asked me, there was a very special service, and the person involved, I knew personally, so I was going to be involved in, in this service. And they asked me if I would process down the aisle holding the Bible. They said, you believe it anyway, so it would be easier for you to carry it than any of us. I said, sure I do. And here it is, gorgeous, gold covers and all kind of full of icons on the outside. And then, then, then the head of their church said to me, he said, now you're not holding the angle right. You've got to angle it right as you process down. Six months earlier, I had a debate with that person, and he does not believe a thing in the Bible. But he was more concerned about angling it coming down the aisle. They believe it as an icon, but not the content of it. Others still in the evangelical church, in the interest of drawing a crowd or wanting to be liked, they have robbed the Bible of its power and its authority. Instead of preaching the Bible, they have settled for sound bites. They have settled for cheap entertainment. They have opted for slick presentations. They have opted for all the slick and clever phrases. Let me give you an example. If it does not break your heart and put you on your knees, George Marsden said that 85% of students in one of America's largest evangelical seminary. Now, we're not talking about liberals now. We're talking about the largest evangelical seminary. 85% of the students do not believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. Paul after Paul have stated that around 74% of the clergy in America do not believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. 95% of the clergy in the Episcopal Church do not believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. 87% of the Methodist clergy do not believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. 82% of the Presbyterian clergy don't believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. 77% of American Lutherans don't believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. 67% of the American Baptist denomination 
clergy do not believe in inerrancy of the Scripture. No wonder 18% of the believers read the Bible on a daily basis. And yet again and again, the Scripture tells us that the Word of God is the only food for the soul. It's the only food for the soul. Sermons are fine. Books are fine. All the good help things, fine. But the Word of God is the only food for the soul. Listen to what God said through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Here's what Moses told the Israelites. He said, God provided you with manna so that, listen to this, that you may understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that utters from the mouth of God. This is so significant that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he quotes to Satan the word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that Man does not live by bread alone, but the food of his soul is every word that is uttered from the mouth of God. Listen to what Job said in 23.12. He said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Listen, not many of us have missed a lot of meals. And yet we can go for days and weeks and months without the food for our soul. We work hard to provide for our family, and that's fine. We should. We work hard to stay healthy, and we should. We work hard to educate our children, and we should. We work hard to stay physically fit, and that's good. And yet, when it comes to feeding of our soul, we allow ourselves to be satisfied with the crumbs from the Word of God. Listen to what God said through Isaiah 55.2. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. The reason why we have a spiritual famine in the church today is because God's people are spiritually malnourished to the point of becoming anemic. The Word of God is not only food for our soul. Secondly, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is power for living. Here's what Paul said. He's writing to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to Gentiles. It is the power of God. We're forever looking for power. I think we all look for power. We all need to find power over our circumstances. We work hard to find power over our problems, our diseases, our illnesses. We're all looking for power for our lives. And yet, we're looking for power in all the wrong places because the Bible said the power is in the Word of God. We read self-improvement books, and that's fine. We read self-help books, that's fine. And we read all kinds of motivational books, I think that's fine. But we leave out the only book that is going to give us power over our lives. Power over sin, power over Satan, power over temptation, power over our circumstances, power over our illnesses, power to change people's lives. The Word of God is not only food for our soul. It's not only power for living. The Bible said that the Word of God 
is a mirror. Is a mirror. And I am convinced in my own heart of hearts that probably this is a major reason why a lot of Christians don't want to spend time with the Word of God. They don't want to read it carefully because it's a mirror. And it's going to reflect to them what they don't want to see about themselves. I think most of us don't want to confront our failures. I really do. If not all of us, we hate to confront our failures. If you read my book, If God is in Control, you know that earlier in life, in my life, God had permitted a series of horrendous failures in my life. And you know, like everybody else, of course, I would not have been forced to confront my failures unless these were so horrendous I could not escape them. And I now know what God has been trying to do. Earlier on in my life, he was trying to teach me to confront my failures. Not run away from them, not hide them, not pretend that they don't exist, but confront them. But most people don't want to confront their hypocrisy. They don't want to confront their double standards. We're always going to, the grace of God for us, oh, but we're very legalistic about somebody else. We don't want to confront our compromises. We don't want to confront our complacency. And so we stop looking in the mirror. First day we look in the mirror, it's so hard. Put it aside. I'll hear the message. I'll listen to Christian radio. I'll hear songs. I'll do this and I'll do that. That's why, by the way, a lot of the Christian radio stations are going into songs, into music, because they don't want the Word of God proclaimed. People are not listening to it. They will listen to music, but not to the Word of God, because the Word of God is a mirror, and they don't want to look in the mirror. People say, well, I just don't like what I see in the mirror. What join the club? I don't either. Here's what James said. Anyone who listens to the Word of God and does not do what it says, he said, it's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, look, it's a fact that none of us when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you're going to say, oh, man, what a wonderful thing God made. <laughs> I mean, that is just not natural. And you have the disheveled hair, and your face looks like there's a truck run over it, and, and, and you see all the wrinkles and all this stuff, and so, young people, you haven't been there yet. You will. You'll get there. <laughs> but you just look at your face, and you say, whoa, you know, who's that? But that's exactly what causes you to do something about it. (laughs) Looking in the mirror. And you would say to yourself, I better hit the shower. And for some of us, better do some more things than that. (laughs) If you try tomorrow morning, say, I'm not going to look in the mirror. I'm just going to go to work just the way I am. Just try it, okay? See what happens. I mean, you go into your office or... Your shop or whatever is looking like a zombie, and everybody says, Hey, <laughs> you look great, because <laughs> we learn to lie. But that's exactly why Christians do not want to read, study, meditate, and learn and obey the Word of God. They don't want to face the facts about their lives, <laughs> they pretend that everything's okay. Look, I got a church. 
I got a midweek Bible study, and uh, actually the, the leader allows everybody to express their opinion about what they think about the passage, and I feel very good about my contribution about that. And, and you know, I have Christian friends, I have Christian fellowship, uh, and my kids go to Sunday school, so they learn the Bible there, and I'm fine. I was going to ask you, how many of you know that this is a lie from the pit of hell? Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. But the Word of God is not only food for our soul. The Word of God does not only give us powerful living. The Word of God does not only, like a mirror, reflects our condition. But the fourth and the last thing I want to tell you is that the Word of God is a shower that cleanses us. Here's what Paul said to the Ephesians 5.26. He said, actually, the Word of God is like a shower. <laughs> Very use of translation and not exactly what, how you're going to find it in your Bibles, but it will make sense. Why does he say it's water? Why does he say that? Because no matter how filthy, how dirty, how terrible you may feel, as soon as you hit the shower, that perfect temperature water, you're going to feel cleansed 1,000%. Now, imagine looking in the mirror or being able to look in the mirror and then you see all the gunk and all the things that needs to be done and then you're not able to do anything about it. I mean, can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine the pain of you not being able to do anything about this? But thank God, that is not the case. See, the Bible, if it says just, just a mirror and stops there, it would be the most frustrating thing in the world because each of us know what the mirror is going to tell us. But thank God that it's not only a mirror, but it's also a shower that can cleanse us. Because the Word of God does a total job. It does a perfect job. It not only shows you the problem, it shows you the solution to the problem. It will provide you with the cleansing power. I want you to listen very carefully to what Peter said. Now, this is a very important passage. Most people read it so fast, even if you read the Scripture. But I think that whole, this just one verse needs to be looked at maybe every morning. Because we're going to show you the power of the Word of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He said, now that you have been purified yourselves, how? The Word of God. Now that the Word of God has cleansed you. And in fact, he goes on to say, by obeying the truth. <laughs> now that you looked in the mirror. Now that you got into the shower. So that you have sincere love of your brothers, love one another even more deeply. What is Peter saying? Listen carefully. Here's what he's saying. He says, if the mirror is going to show you resentment and bitterness in your life towards somebody, the shower is going to cleanse you by pouring in the love of Christ in your heart toward those very people that you are bitter toward and angry about. 
He is saying, if the mirror shows you deep-seated anger and hatred, the shower is going to wash you all over with love for others, even the unlovable. He is saying, if the mirror is going to reveal envy and jealousy and discontentment, the shower is going to cleanse you and is going to give you joy unspeakable. If the mirror reflects immorality of any kind, the shower is going to cleanse you into a purity of motive and life. And so I conclude where I began. What despots have failed to do in robbing the Word of God of its power, in robbing the Word of God of its effect, what they have failed to do, God's people are doing by not reading, believing, and obeying the Word of God. If I have a, a longing in my heart, maybe that everyone who's hearing me right now would make the decision, not temporary one, but permanent, that you will not eat until you read, believe, and obey the Word of God. May God grant you power and grant me power to do just that. Father, I stand before you as a man who daily faced temptation to not read your Word. And, and Lord, we together stand knowing that you're the God of power and might. And that when we ask you for power to be disciplined and consistent, that you'll give it to us. Father, I thank you that it is your desire for your children to know you intimately through your word and that it breaks your heart when your children would not bother to spend time prayfully, thoughtfully reading the love letters that you have given us, your self-revelation. And so, Father, we pray that through us and through our commitment, we experience power beyond our ability to even comprehend, just as your word promised. For Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.